Good morning. Happy New Year's. Um, New Year's is kind of interesting to me. You know, as a kid, you kind of think of it and stuff. But as a holiday, to me, it's kind of funny in the sense that um, it's really nothing. I mean, it's a date on a calendar, right? It's like you find that out. What do you mean? Chinese holidays, another day? What do you, how does that work, you know? And so, um, but it's interesting when we look at it and, and, you know, culture-wise and things, how people kind of reassess their lives or or make commitments and stuff like that and um it's interesting it but at this time it's like after christmas and stuff it's kind of like it's at least nice that there's another holiday right that you can recover from christmas before you really have to get back to real life and then there's some of you out there that i'm really jealous of where like the whole week after christmas you know the holiday like begins before christmas you don't go to work until after new year's you know i get that whole gap off for the rest of us, like in construction, it's like, what do you do? I got three days to tear off a roof or something. I got to fit something in there, you know. Not a lot you can get done in that small amount of time, especially when it's like Christmas is on a Wednesday, and then it's like that just throws the whole thing off, right? It's like, how do you celebrate Christmas on a Wednesday? What days do you take off, you know? Um, but it's interesting, and I was um, looking at stuff, and, and, and I really didn't want to, it seems like you go through Christmas and you can miss Jesus in it. You get so going with the family and visiting family and traveling and all the crazy business, and we can miss Jesus in Christmas. And, you know, it's not a biblical holiday in the sense of, here, you know, celebrate this or anything like that, but it's a time where we do and we have um, celebrate who Jesus is, and, and we can get so busy that we miss who he is in our lives. And I, I think that can happen overall in our lives as believers as well. And so let's pray and we'll get into the word this morning. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and that you love us so much. And that you are the author of new beginnings, Father. As we look at a new year and in this time of year, Father, but man, you are the author of new beginning in our lives. You can step in and just change a life, God. And we just pray You continually do that in our lives, that you would step in and just change us, renew us, open our eyes. Let your word just divide us, Father. Open up our hearts, Father. Deal with the the things that hold us back from enjoying just this abundant life and joyful life in you. We just thank you for your word. So this morning we're going to be in um, John chapter 15. We'll be starting in verse 1. So the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And so, um, kind of looking at this, this thing, we're going to be looking at Jesus as the vine, and uh, we are the branches, is kind of the portion of Scripture here. And um, I was thinking and praying, and um, in John 10.10, 10, it says, that verse there says, The thief does not come except to destroy and steal and to kill But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And and God really does come that we wouldn't just be able to go to heaven, but that we can have in this life, life more abundantly, and that it would be joyful and fruit-filled. Now, life abundantly, joyful and fruit-filled might sound like a diet plan. I don't know how many of you guys Facebook, how many little diet secrets and everything else come this time of year. I know... Um, gym memberships go up around the first, you know, everybody commits to those things. And my wife would love for me to have an abundant, longer life than her. That, you know, she's always talking, you, you know, you cannot 
die before me. You have to outlive me. You have to change what you're eating. And, and you know, if you eat better, you'll have more joy and more energy. And, and you know, definitely if you eat more fruit, more fruit-filled life in your diet, you will live longer. And, uh, you know, there are some things out there definitely. Um, I'm for the diet where you get to eat all the corn syrup possible and carbs. But that, that isn't out there, at least that have convinced anybody to spend any money on it yet. And so, I'm not on a diet plan. But when we look at spiritually and we look at these things, to have an a, a abundant life and a joy-filled life and a fruitful life, that's what God is, is speaking through us in, in, first, or in John here in chapter 15. He is headed off. Very soon he's going to the cross. And so he's sitting down talking with his disciples and sharing with them. And so this is a very intimate, important, or, or heavy-laden conversation. Imagine you're getting around dinner and, and you're spending that last moment with somebody or, or before a time of separation. And so Jesus is really wanting to pour into them and, and, and speak into them things, things of value and, and, and really taking that opportunity. Um, you know, and it's kind of an interesting situation. We had a neighbor of ours, Nellie, she was um, 92. When we first met her, we didn't even hear her name. That was, she told us her age. She came up and goes, I'm 82 years old. And, and um, her daughter, Sarah, was living with her, and she was a believer. And we went up and, you know, we got a call that um, her daughter said, you know, she, the doctors have said uh, she, her organs are shutting down and, and the time is coming near, so if you want to go see her. And so we went, and um, it's like you want to pray for her and encourage her. And so we all got together with some of the other neighbors and, and we're going to pray with her before they kind of took off. And, um, she, you know, she was kind of in and out of being clear, you know. I think she said hi to me three times and kissed me, you know. Oh, Tim, you know. But she just prayed and thanked God. She was ready. She was just ready to go home, thankful for my neighbors, thank God for what he was, had done in her life. And, and it was a sweet thing. And, you know, those times are important. And this is where Jesus is before he comes to the cross this time. And he says in verse 1, it says, I am the vine, or the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word you have spoken to because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit. Of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so in John 15 here, it, it's talking and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, the true vine, it's interesting in scripture, we see as the Israelites in Jerusalem, they're referred to as the vineyard or the vine. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And it's it's not just, it's, it's really interesting illustration he uses here. He says, I am the true vine, you need to abide in me. And what a beautiful thing. I mean, we hear Jesus say, you know, I am the shepherd and you are the sheep. Well, sheep generally can't survive on their own, but it's possible. You know, children, we're the children of God. Children can make it without a father. They, there's, there's a possibility of them surviving. But there's no way a branch survives without their vine. There is a, a connection that is inseparable. And, and Jesus is truly our source of abundant life. There isn't another vine out there that has abundant life. 
You know, a, a, a pastor's son, um, when he was serving, decided to go off in the world, was involved in all kinds of um, stuff, and, and he had to let him go. And he says, man, I've, I've, I've shared the scripture for you all these years. You do me one favor. If you find anything better than Jesus, do me, do me the favor of coming back and telling me. If there's anything out there better than just let me know. After all these years, me taking care of you, change your diapers, you owe me that. Eight months later, the, the child showed back up and said, God, Dad, forgive me. I haven't found anything better than Jesus. Restored that. There isn't another source of life out there that offers abundant life. No, and Jesus, you know, it, it's, it's sad. Most, most churches, fellowships, and, and believers and things we get used to Jesus being like an additive, like you sprinkle a little Jesus in your life and he enriches your life. He's not the source, but, you know, add a little Jesus in, your life will be a little better off. You, you know, it'll help things out, you know, and, and you, you, you talk to unbelievers and it's like, you know, yeah, I know you're dealing with, but if you would just added a little Jesus into the mix, you know, it'd sweeten things up a little. And that's not the case. He, he is our source of life. And his father, God, he's the vine dresser. He's in control of it. He's the, the judge of that life and, and how it will be. And I think most of us in here agree with those two statements. Okay, Jesus is our life. Jesus is our Savior, right? And we're good with that statement. We're good that, that God is God. We don't have a problem with God being God. Yeah, we, we understand that. But yet, there's things that kind of slow down and I, and I it kind of interesting I was looking at some scripture with a friend and he's getting into the deep meanings of words and stuff and I said man I just I sometimes have such a hard problem or or seems like such a struggle just to apply the basic truths of the bible these deep things are great but I just I want to take those you know the basic things and just actually apply them to my life if I could do that it'd be awesome you know and it's so we're talking about those things and you know, looking at it. And this is very kind of something basic, but as I look at my life, it seems it's like, does, has this really taken root? Is this, is this who I am? And so we look at verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more. Now the word takes away, this translation is actually kind of rough. I like Dig Gusick on it. He does a really long very well-studied um, explanation why it's not as much as takes away as lifts up. You know, you had the vineyards back in the day, and now we have them all pruned up. Well, vines like to grow on the ground. And so the, the vine dresser would kind of take the young little ones and, and, and take them away and, and bring them up so that they would be trained up to grow up off the ground. And then, you know, they go through the pruning process. The ones that are dead, he would trim away that the plant would be more fruitful. And, and God desires that. He's the vine dresser. He desires our lives to produce fruit. He, that's his plan. And, and he prunes things out that aren't needed in our lives. And, and it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't feel um, good at all. I mean, it's, uh, it can be even scary at times. Um, I know, for me, there's been times, man, I, I remember school and ministry, and I was joking, well, Maybe I was, it sounds better to say I was joking around, but when I graduated, I was like, man, this was not a pruning, it was a stumping. God just like went down the roots and said, we got to start over, and then 
you know, the root grinder came out, and I was like, okay, there's something we can begin with. We got some little shoots off of whatever was left. And, you know, but it, it can be rough in that sense. But the good thing is, what I've learned is, he's a good vine dresser. He really takes care of it. I am horrible. We have this, we have an older house, and it has a, 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 a grapevine growing into the fence along it. Man, I pruned that thing one year. I was like, yeah, I can get out. I'll figure this. It can't be that hard. It's pruning, right? Yeah, it didn't produce anything that year. Then a friend came over and, you know, showed me the little different things you got to do. I'm like, yeah, wow, you know, I'm definitely not a vine dresser. But we can trust God in our lives to prune those things away. He is an awesome vine dresser. In verse 3 it says, You've already, or, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So we've, we've been cleaned. We've been, we're free of sin. We've, we've been through the work of the cross. We are saved. Um, you know, it's not like, well, if you're not totally abiding or anything, suddenly you, you're out of salvation or something like that. But he requires more. He, he desires more than just accepting him, going, yeah, he's this and this. But, you know, it says believe on him as Lord, which is a position, a, a continuous position in your life. You know, and so... He says, yeah, you've already been cleaned, which I've spoken to you, but I want, in the verse 4, it says, abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can I you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And so he desires us to abide in him, that relationship where he is our source of life. You know, Jesus didn't come and say, okay, guys, I died on the cross for your sin. I'll catch you in heaven. Good luck. You know, I I paid for it all. You can do whatever you want until you die, but I'll catch you on the other side. Good luck with that. Have fun. No, that'd be horrible. He came and he has freed us from sin. And that, that, that sin that he has also paid for, he has freed us from. We don't have to live in it. And it's one of those things that's like, how do you do that? How do you do that well? And he's saying, I want to not just free you from sin and say, okay, now you're sinless until you die. You know, it was said, you know, there was a debate back in the day. I, I love hearing the story, and, and who knows how true it is anymore. You know, you hear stuff kind of passed down, but there was a debate. There was a debate in the church that you could actually grow as a believer into sinless perfection where you stop sinning. And so you had these uh, you know, great theologians and everything there. And um, I believe it was Warren Wiersbe at this meeting. This guy's claiming he hadn't sinned in over seven years. And so Wiersbe walks over with a pitcher of water and dumps it on the guy. And the guy freaks out and he goes, well, there goes seven years of sinless perfection. You know, <laughs> that's a good way he kind of solved that debate. But you look at these things, and, and you sit there, and you go, okay, God doesn't just desire that, but he desires us to abide. He desires us to have this uh, full, fruitful relationship with him. Uh, what an amazing thing that the God of all creation doesn't just look at us in our sin and destruction, but he wants to have a relationship with us, an amazing relationship with us. And again, I think most of us in here would be fine with that. We'd go, yeah, we need to abide in Christ. And, and, and yeah, we believe we're supposed to have a relationship with him. It's not catch him, at, you know, I'll, I'll catch up with him later type thing. But, but what does that look like? You know, and, and I think we can grow accustomed to things 
and, and accustoms himself, I know I can in my life, to where he isn't my source of life every day. You know, where, you know, my life isn't totally dependent on him. You know, the Bible talks about the fruit. There's all kinds of fruit in the Bible besides, you know, the fruit of a changed life and your heart changing and God working. I mean, that, that word is so huge, what that looks like. We have the, the spirit of the, uh, the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You know, so we have, have these things and, and we know what it looks like biblically. But, but sadly, if you looked at the church overall, it appears to lack. In the, in the church as a whole today, in the nation, in our nation, it seems to lack that there's not a lot of fruit, which means maybe we're not abiding. You know, fruit, if you're abiding, it's not like fruit shows up tomorrow. It takes time. There's growth. But you can look at a plant and go, well, you know, it, it, it's a big plant. It, it's at the point. It's the time of year. There should be fruit showing up. You know, there, there should be something on this, or, or it's only got a couple little fruit. I mean, if you see this huge fruit tree and you see these little things, a couple up there, you're like, well, it's not that great of a fruit tree. It's not really producing that much. And so we don't want to focus on the fruit, but it definitely is a sign. You know, in, in the church, you see all these health, self-help teachings now. You know, they, they don't want to be offensive. They're self-help teachings. And you don't even have to read books anymore. they got these little short bursts. You can, you know, stream this channel or that channel and these things. And, and yet they're missing Jesus. They're missing the meaning. They're missing the power. You know, it's a scary question is, you know, if, if Jesus wasn't in the church, would it change much? If, if Jesus were out of most people's lives, would it just mean they'd have more time available on Sunday? You know, and, and you look, you go, what, what would change in my life? You know, and, and, and sadly, some people, I mean, it, it becomes kind of an act of, of service, you know. I, I love Jay Vernon McGee. I, I was listening to him, and it had been a while. I mean, I remember working with contractors in Big Bear, and they'd always have him on the radio, and great Bible teacher. He's definitely not a Pentecostal, to pre-warn you if you guys listen to him. He's not in the, the Pentecostal or the, those, those type of gifts at all. Um, but, you know, he's talking, he goes, there's a young man that comes into the front of church, and he's kind of looking around, you know, and, and he comes out and looks at him and goes, can I, can I help you out? And he goes, well, I'm just looking around. He goes, well, let me give you a tour. So he's giving him a tour of the church, you know, and they come up and they see this little boy sees this plaque and it's got all these names going down it and and the little boy goes well what what's that why are their names up there and the pastor goes well well son those are those are the uh, people who died in the service and the little boy's eyes are kind of wide-eyed and looks at him and goes well the morning service or the afternoon service you know <laughs> and sadly many times though I mean I've sat in church and, and I, I mean I was raised in church so you know just remember I'm work in progress. But no, growing up and stuff, it was like, I just want to survive. My parents made me come here. I just have to survive. And there was times, I swear, I didn't. I wasn't going to, you know? It didn't matter how good the word was or taught was or anything like that. I was just like, you know, I went, um, I visited Big Bear Calvary Chapel where I grew up uh, over Christmas. Me and my son went up there real quick from the high desert, my wife's family. And so there's a lot of memories there. And I remember, yeah, there's many times I sat here and I could tell you what the ceiling tile looking at play. I'm like, wow, I, I really remember this place. How many times do I remember what God told me? Not much. But, <laughs> you know, there's, there's things, you know. It's like, 
which is kind of good, though. You know, it's, I'm glad I don't remember, oh, yeah, this was a certain message or this, because no, because if I remember to think, no, God worked in my life more than the pastor, which is sweet. But you sit there and go, yeah, it's surviving service, or what's next, you know, and, and again, there's, most of us, heart, our hearts aren't in that. We're not here, you know, uh, just waiting to get out, only unless, you know, family or something said, you have to go to church with us. But most of us here want to be here, but yet there can appear to be a lack of fruit in our lives, a, a lack of, of joy. And the scripture says, he who abides in me and him bears much fruit. Without me, nothing. Can do nothing. So much fruit. So some of us might go, yeah, we got some fruit. But much fruit? I mean, that's, that's a challenge to me. And if we're missing fruit in our lives, it kind of comes back to going, well, am I abiding in him? Am I in the source as much as I think? Or am I really dependent on him? Am I really praying? Am I really reading the scripture? Am I really obeying? Is that a true priority in my life? Am I dependent on him minute by minute, hour by hour in my life? Is that my focus? You know, in the, in the scripture, it talks about a bondservant. What a challenging thing, right? A willing servant of Christ. Wow. You know, to, to, to view your life and go, hey, I don't have a say over what I do this next hour or the next hour after that. That's all the Lord's, whatever he wants to do with my life. I'm totally surrendered to those things. You know, it's a challenge to go much fruit and to slow down and look. You know, and... It's kind of interesting because I, I think we miss it. We, we, there's other things we kind of get distracted by. I think we very, I don't know about you guys, I'm very easily distracted, you know. Um, it's lucky there's no squirrels walking by. I'd be like, what? No. You know, there's, there's things like that, you know. I'm, it's not a squirrel, okay, but there's cars, certain cars, you know. Like, hey, honey, I know you're talking about something important, but we're in traffic and that car's going to disappear in a minute. So i got to show it to you, and I know you don't care about it if I think about it now. But you know what I mean? But we get distracted. You know, and, and there's things we can get, you know, I, I was thinking about the different things we can do, you know, and you get real deep in theology, you know, and, and you know, now you're, you know, oh, I'm all about Jesus, you know, I'm on the Jesus debate team. I can debate anybody about any scripture, you know, team Jesus right here, you know, and, and instead of, none of it goes from your head, though, to your heart. They understand, you know, oh, yeah, let's, let's get into this, and I can... But, but it's like, okay, so what did that change in your life? Well, now I can tell everybody how they're wrong. I'm like, what? You know, how did that affect your life? What's, what, what does it matter? You know, while well, I'm studying and I'm finding this great meaning of this word. And so what is that going to change in your life? Well, you don't understand. It's really cool, though. And it's like, okay, well, I want, I want those things to hit, hit me, affect my heart, you know. The deep things of God are awesome, but... I want the basic things just to be lived in my life. I want to see those change, you know. Then you have, have some of us, we're, we're more like the community action group for Jesus. You know, we're, we're going to go feed the homeless. Why are you feeding the homeless? Because we're supposed to. You know, and it's like, okay, that's a good thing. So who, you feed them, you help them. You help them so well they live to be 110, then what happens? At some point, they're going to die. We're, you know, by the way, that all happens. All of us are going to die at a point. Are you sharing what's important with them? Or are you just doing things? And I think we can get so busy doing things and doing things, you know, in the name of God and stuff, but we're not willing to love people. 
slow down and love people. God laid aside heaven to come and be with us. And many times, most of these people, and the great effect we've had in Hope Ministry is, is taking the time to love on some people, just slowing down and loving them. You know, I, I probably don't help Cecily too much. She oversees Hope Ministries, and so sometimes things will be going on, and I'll stop by in the office there and say hi, and I, I stop by and say hi, and there was a lady um, helping out financially and stuff, and, and we started talking, and I am start talking to this lady. She goes, yeah, I really feel like you should be doing and, I, and I'm like, I see, with Cecily there, that's her job. they got to support the ministry. I love her for it, and, and she knows it. But I'm like, God doesn't need your money. He, he wants you in here. These people just, you know the Lord, come share with them. And she's like, she's very gracious with me. But no, I'm like, no, put the check away. You're tearing up. No, but, um, and she knows that. She, her, she's very, very appreciative for those who are willing to come and serve and spend time. But very much, it, it, it's a whole different deal instead of writing a check or just doing an action to take the time to pour into people's lives, to care. You know, we have a, a family member, and, and they're in a, um, a law enforcement industry, and, and they have to deal with some pretty bad homeless people. And just hearing them talk, you know, I just grieved. I'm going, you know, those, those, are, those are people we care about, you know? And they're just, oh, I'm so sick of this situation. I have to deal with this. You get these people, you know, they're horrible and, they're, and these things. And, and you go, yeah, but... You know, God's changed my heart towards that over the years so much. And, and not just to, I don't want to just give them another meal. You start to see what their real need is and love on them. And it can be hard and difficult, but it's amazing to see what God does in that area. Instead of just being part of an action group, just doing stuff. But instead, God, what are you calling me to do? I want to have your heart. If you're abiding in him, then suddenly you start to catch his heart and how he really wants to help people. You know, the, the other thing is we can be too busy doing good. I'm, uh, God, I'm too busy for you because I'm doing your work. I got this going on. I got this going on. I'm taking care of all this stuff for you, God, so you don't have to worry about it. I don't have time to hang out with you. You know, and, and it, 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 it really grieves me. I, I was thinking of this and, and with my, you know, my own kids and stuff. How hard would it be, you know, so many times... Um, Especially, you know, young men and their dads, they desire approval. They do things out of approval. They might go overboard out of approval from their fathers. And, and how, how sad is that? If you, if you came home and your, your son's doing every, I'm just trying to get the house clean. I just want to do this. I, 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 Dad, I just want to prove to you that you, you would love me. And you're like, I just want to hang out with you. I, I, but I still got to finish things up. Dad, I don't have time to hang out with you because I, I have to do all this stuff. And you're like, well, no, I can take care of that. Don't worry about it. I just want, no, 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 Dad, I'm going to take care of it. It's sad. God wants to hang out with us. God wants, that's his, his first thing is, hey, I want you. I don't want your works. I guarantee you, God's not in, in lack of anything. You know, it's not like, well, you know, some of you might be, don't get too um, discouraged, but God doesn't need you to serve him in that ministry over your heart. You get to. He loves to use you. He likes to bless you and, and teach you through that. But first and foremost, he wants you and your heart. And so we can get, we can get occupied by these things. You know, um, it, it's amazing when you look at Scripture and, and you look at things. And I, I was talking to a friend this week, and, and um, we're talking about your relationship and your family and ministry and, and those things. And, you know 
we're sitting there, and you, you totally agree. I don't know anybody that would disagree. If, if, if your ha- family was in perfect order, if your kids were obedient, if your house was in order, and all those things were in order, but you had no relationship with God, would it be worth it? No, no, that, that's first and foremost. That, that has to be in order, or, or the family, that's, that, that's not good. You know, I, I, my, my kids need to know the truth. You know, and at the same time, if your family's out of order and there's hardship in your family, suddenly your ministry seems useless or, or less valued. It, it would be great. Oh, you know, I had a friend, he goes, man, I just, I want to be an evangelist. And I said, okay, so what if you're an evangelist and, you know, five, 600 people are coming to the Lord, but, but your own kids don't know the Lord? Would that matter? Would you, where would your heart be? No, it's so much more important that you're, I have my family, and, and the Bible teaches that. And those things, you know, him first, and your family. You know, and, and then, yeah, your ministry. God has all kinds of ministry, you know. And those things being in order, you know. And when, and when that's in order, and those things are in order, then there's, there's other ministry even out beyond that, you know, work and those things. But it's one thing is, first, that's relationship with you. You got to have that relationship. If I don't have that relationship, it doesn't matter what my family looks like because I know it's all fake. It's all going to crumble because it would be based on me and my strength. But if my relationship with God's in order and my relationship in my family's in order and I'm doing what God's called me to do there, then it allows me to do these other things. But if those things go off, oh, God, no. And, and many times it seems like we can get down that road to where well, you know, God, I'm, I'm putting me and you on hold because I got my family and I got my ministry. And it's like, wait, no, that can't come out of balance. Yeah, but we can allow it. We can get so busy and focused on those things that we lack in our personal relationship. And then suddenly our family suffers and then our ministry suffers and, and it kind of goes downhill. And this is where here Jesus is talking to the 12 and he's not giving them a lecture on, hey, this is the best way to plan a church, guys. I'm going to be gone in a little while. You're going to need to do. No, he's saying, abide in me. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. That is, and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. Well, that doesn't sound fun. I don't know about you. We'll just get a black highlighter, take that out. You know, that's stiff warning right there, right? I'm like, ouch. I mean, this is all good. Okay, abide in me and this and that. And then it's like, okay, what happens if you don't? You know, kind of uh, when, you, when you study, you kind of talk about what the scriptures usually shows a cost of disobedience. You know, this isn't a good pep talk portion here, you know, or a TED talk. This isn't very uplifting, this part. Um, but God is clear. He's warning us what happens. What happens if we don't abide? We're, we're going to die. We're going to dry up. We can't continue on. And not that we're focused on the fruit. We can still get, well, am I fruitful? Is this going on or that going on? But focus on abiding in him. You know, um, as a teacher shared, you know, you, you never see a tree sitting there stressing, right? Like, poop, fruit, yes, no. You abide, it, it, it's in the ground, it's in the word, and that comes in its season. That's, that's not something you're, you need to focus on, but we should be concerned about abiding. And when we look and ground and go, well, my, light doesn't, my life doesn't seem to be 
full of fruit. It doesn't seem to be abundant. It seems to lack joy. Well, maybe I'm not abiding him. Maybe I really need to sit down and look at what that is. You know, verse 7 says, Abide in me and, and in my words, abide in, or, and my words abide in you, and I, you will ask. Yeah. You will ask what you desire, and it will, shall be done for you. Ask what you desire. If, you ask what for, if you're praying and asking, and you're not getting those things, what you desire, maybe you're not abiding in them. <laughs> maybe his words aren't abiding in you. You know, when you open God's word and you start to read, it really directs how you pray. For instance, if I was praying um, or was reading through Jonah, Okay, and Jonah's going to this rebellious nation, and he's in disobedience. And if I read through the book of Jonah, and I sit down, and I look at our nation, and I go, okay, God, just wipe us out. You know, these people aren't going to repent. No, if you learn anything from the book of Jonah, it's God's, God's a merciful God, and you should be asking and praying for him to change a nation to repent, you know? You learn how to pray, in a sense, you know? I don't know anybody that reads through the Bible and goes, yes, honey, God wants us to sit down and pray for a new truck, you know, four-door, four-wheel drive. No, it just, it kind of is like, those things don't line up well, you know? And, 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 I mean, it's interesting. If your prayers aren't being answered, well, maybe you're not praying right. Maybe your heart's not in the right place. Maybe your desires aren't where they should be. And, and our desires and those things change when you're plugged into God, when you're he's your source he changes those desires and suddenly you start to pray according to his will and according to those things and God starts to work it amazes me we're we're with the youth we're we're going through the book of Matthew and in Matthew 14 Jesus goes through these parables and it talks about you know tares and wheat and and so basically non-believers being in the church and then and and God will sort those out in time we're not to do that and he goes through but he goes home to his hometown, the region where he's from, right? And, and they knew him, and they, he would walk in, they go, wow, look at this guy. Look what, how he's teaching and the authority he's come back with. And, but we know him. He's just a carpenter's son. Uh, we, yeah, he's Jesus. We know who he is. And so the scripture says he wasn't able to do a lot of mighty works and miracles and signs and wonders there because of their unbelief. And I was looking at that, and with my life going, do I just assume things? I mean, I've been raised in the church, so do I pray? I know how to pray biblically, right? I know I'm not going to pray for a brand new truck I can't afford, you know, openly. So, yeah, we'll save that for a private, not the prayer meeting. No, but, you know, you kind of have these assumptions of what to pray for in those things. And, and am I going, you know, am I missing out? Am I stopping and saying, God... How do you want me to pray? What do you want to do? You know, am I assuming who he is and what he's going to do? That I'm numb to, oh, that's just Jesus. I was raised with him. You know, raised in the church. I got, I got it down. You know, God doesn't do those type of things, you know. I know that's in the Bible, and we, we know he could do those things, but he doesn't. I mean, we, we kind of do that. At least I do that. And instead of just abiding in him, and we miss out on things, you know. And, and Christmas, that kind of happens. I mean... There are people that they, you find out they assume they know you well. And you get a present and you're like, wow, thanks. And you realize they don't know you very well. And they're excited and you're like, 
okay. Get free seat? No. I mean, there's certain things where, you know, that's one of those times you get a present, and it's like there's, there's certain things. There's a reason, you know. Um, for you, those of you who like fruitcake, God bless you. There's not many of us. I mean, I remember a couple, I don't know how many years ago, there's a guy who built a house out of leftover fruitcakes, okay? And so they, they bricked them up and built them. So some of you guys love that stuff. I'm not that type of guy. I'd be donating mine to be a brick, you know? And I think my family, I don't know of anybody that ate, ate fruitcake in my family. And so when we got one, it sat around, you know? And you, you try it because it's like as a kid, you want something sweet. Yeah, it was just a bad trick, you know, like, no, we're good, you know. And so, you know, sometimes we can just make those assumptions of, of who God is and, and instead of staying with him, instead of hanging out with him, instead of getting to know him. You know, and the amazing thing is he wants to get to know us. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that when you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. We get to be his disciples. We get to be known by him. And God gets glorified. When I was at Big Bear Calvary Chapel, which is home, it's kind of interesting to me because like this Calvary, most are new. They haven't been around for years and years and years. Big Bear Calvary's been around a long time. I don't know when it first started. Um, I might have been there when I was like three, the first time I remember moving building, building. But even, gosh, I don't even know, 20 years ago or more, they took over an old thrifties building, and they framed it out, and I helped do that. I was there with my dad, and we worked on it and did it in that same building. Um, it's weird to go back to a family, a building with the same pastor there where, where I buried my dad, my brother, friends. I got married. My kids were all but one of my kids were dedicated there. And, and to sit there and go, well, that's my, my dad's seat. He had his seat. He liked the area he liked to sit in. I know some of you guys do here. But, you know, kind of have his spot. And, and you sit there. One of the most encouraging things was there wasn't too many people I knew. You go to the door and they're like, hi. And it's Big Bear. So they, it's a vacation town. So they always get visitors. They're, in, they're not surprised when somebody's new. Like, we get all excited. No. But, you know, like, wow, you know, nobody comes vacations too many in Manteca. If you are, God bless you. Come back. But Big Bear, you know, it's a resort town. You always have tons of weekenders come in. And you have no clue what's going to happen. You know, 50% of the fellowship's visitors sometimes, you know. And, um, but there, there's a lot of people that are, especially first service. You don't get the weekenders first service. But, you know, not a lot of people that I knew. And what a blessing, because I love Mike Fomer, but he still wears funky sweaters. He did do a PowerPoint thing, which he wasn't good at, so he's trying to be more. But, I mean, he's taught the same way he did, and very basic truths. It wasn't like, wow, that's some great new. No, but the people are growing. God's using them. They're abiding. They're moving out. God's placing them other places and other things, you know. But yet, there was one man still there, um, who's like my grandpa in many senses, uh, Richard Miro. He's a, a greeter at the door, a bright, shiny tie, which the kids all came running up to him to see what tie he had on. So, you know, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just talking with him. Um, this smaller East L.A. Mexican, I don't know if you guys, Raw Reese kind of style, thick accent. He still never has learned to speak English or Spanish. By many standards, you know, he's got his thick accent. He went out 
from where they were at the fellowship and met with my parents in a little area called Baldwin Lake, which at the time had dirt roads. I don't think even had power because he was talking about the generator shutting off while they were witnessing to him, and an outhouse. So you get this East L.A. Mexican up in Big Bear with either hippies or rednecks, whatever you prefer, all the way out there in the boonies, you know, sharing the gospel with them, loving on my parents, and totally changing by God, working through what him sharing the gospel, changing my parents' lives. You know, and he's been faithful doing that. He's still there. I was, um, he's talking, he's, um, they just had their uh, 78th anniversary, him and his wife. It's amazing, you know, and I'm talking with him. He says, yeah, I got, I got 27 grandkids, 17 great-grandkids, and seven great-great-grandkids. And one of his great-grandkids is sitting there, and that generation of his family, I really don't know. And, and he's sitting there, and he's talking about the military, this and that. And I was sharing with him. I said, you know, this, he came out. And he goes, really? Richard did that? Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, you have no clue how many people he shared with. I'd love to see the spiritual heritage tree of how much that guy's affected, you know? He, he, he talks about some of these guys. We'll leave them nameless, but you guys know some of these people with East L.A. accents. He says, yeah, I used to tell that guy he was going to hell all the time. He never listened. They actually had me leave because I had, couldn't be around him anymore. They didn't like me being a Christian. You know, now they go start their churches. Look at that. You know, <laughs> it's funny, but it's just amazing to see how God works. And you look at him. I mean, I remember going to Snow Summit. He's a guy, minimum wage job, taking your tickets at the, at the line for, before you got on the lift. You know, window washing. And those things, you know, I was talking to him and he goes, yeah, I said, so how's it going, this and that, oh, you know, this and that, and, you know, can't do too much anymore, I'm getting older and slower and this and that, and he goes, I want to get, wish they had a Walmart up here. Walmart? He goes, yeah, because they have those greeters, and I do that every Sunday. Here, I could do that great, you know, I just stand there and I don't have to get on the ladder or nothing, be great, you know. I mean, talk about, this is a guy who's a window washer, a greeter, but yet, spiritually, how God's used him, because he's just simply abided. He's not a great evangelist. He's not, you know, a great teacher or anything like that, but he's just been faithfully seeking God and sharing the gospel, and, and what a beautiful thing to see as, he, as he's there, and he's still just smiling, greeting at the door. You know, I, I, he's never served in any other position I know of in the church. You know, I know he helps out with men's, and he, he might, might even serve on the church board, but every Sunday, he'll be there greeting with him and his wife, you know, and it, it's just amazing to see him just being faithful and abiding. And I think so many times we can slow down, oh, I want to do this great thing for the Lord, instead of just abiding and just seeing what he has. You know, there, there are not going to be many people, at least in my life, that I'd ever look back to and go, wow, was ever greater than that man? Who, I mean, the effect. You know, I, I was cool. I got to share with him and show him some pictures. I said, hey, Richard, you got to see this or what? I said, this was a couple we had in our house. They're down here. They're in L.A. They're, oh, where about in L.A.? Maybe I'm, you know, the, the heritage. Because you, cause you're willing to share with my parents. And then I was raised in that. And I was able, and now I'm able to share the gospel with people. What an amazing thing to see. What an awesome heritage, you know. It was just sweet. And, and seeing his grandkid there just with white eyes, just totally like, wow, really? God, yeah. You know, your old, your old grandpa here, you know, is all, all into sharing the gospel and those things. It's amazing to see Let's continue on verse 9. 
As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, I will abide in my love. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Abide in his love. Wow. His love, being able to abide in his love. Not in his rules. You know, I mean, it's not, oh, abide in my rules, keep in my man's, commit his commandments. You know, in the, in the scripture, God doesn't, he isn't saying, hey, remember all of whatever, 365 of the laws of Moses or any of these things. But Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. We also can abide in his love and in that relationship and walk in that. What a, what a simple thing. You know, a list of rules, some of us would love to take that on. It would be better, right, give me a list of rules and I can check it off. But to abide in his love, to walk with him in those things and to know his love. To be able to know the love of the God who created the universe, to be able to have that relationship is an amazing thing. And that's what he commands us. First and foremost, love the Lord your God. Love me. What an awesome command. That's, that, that's an easy one to do, okay? You think, yeah, that's easy. No, it, can, it seems to be harder than it should be. But God, all I got to do is focus on you. Yeah, all you got to do is focus on me. And then those things that come out, there will be fruit that grows. You abide in him, fruit happens. Verse 11 says, These things I speak to you, that your joy may remain in you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Why is he telling us this? Why is he telling us, hey, I want you to abide in me. I want, I want, I want you I want you to have this abundant life, this fruitful life in me, because I want you to have my joy. I want your joy to be full, not a burden. Oh, I got to abide in Jesus. I got to go meet with him. You know, when me and Heidi were dating, they used to have, we had a distance. We were in two different towns. And, you know, praise God, their long distance phone bills have gone away because we had some in the hundreds of dollars. You know, worth more than cars, <laughs> you know, talking on the phone. But there wasn't a time that I sat down on the phone. I said, oh, i got to talk to Heidi on the phone. Oh, man, until 3 in the morning? Really? No. We'd talk and talk and talk and talk and talk late in the night. And then one of our parents would come in and say, you're paying for that phone bill. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation, you know. Or unplug the phone on you. You know, you had the cord that would coil back, you know. We didn't, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a difficulty. It wasn't a burden. You know, it was a joy. You know, I couldn't wait to talk to her. When are you getting off work? When are you going to get home? Get on the phone and talk, you know. It was a joy to talk to her. And very much with God, he, it's a joy. And sometimes we've got to check our hearts going, well, why isn't it a joy? I mean, do, do I practically, okay, abiding in Christ, what does that practically look like? Well, I guess I'm going to have to go to bed a little earlier to get up, to get in my word, or I'm going to have to set time aside. You know, I'm going to miss out on that. Really? If that's my heart, God, change my heart, because I've had that. 
The practical application, okay, abide. What does that look like? I've got to open your word. I've got to get in your word. Well, how am I going to do that? I'm going to have to make time to do it. And, and if I'm struggling with making time to do it, God, change my heart. God, change my heart. I want to have that joy. I want to have that abundant life. I want to have joy that is full or overflowing. Can you imagine being so joyful that no other joy can fit in your life? You're like, hey, I got God. This is great. This is great. Hey, you just won the lottery. You're like, that's nice. I'm stoked already. I'm good. I don't need that. I got God. That's what this scripture is talking about, a joy that is full, his joy. What's amazing is, yeah, Jesus went through all kinds of suffering and stuff, and he saw it, and it was a burden. He saw the condition of the world. It was a burden upon him, but it was also his joy because he knew he was going to save us out of it. You know, when you saw Jesus, people, the disciples didn't go, you know, that my, my joy will remain in you. No, thank you. You're, you kind of, I mean, you look rough. I mean, this is right before the cross. And he's saying, hey, I have joy. What an amazing thing to think that when Jesus walked around that he had joy. Even though he was burdened for the things, he had joy. He knew he had a solution. He knew those things. And he joyfully went to the cross for us. Willingly was willing to take that suffering upon to save us. And that's what real love does when even hardship comes and stuff. And you might be looking at a situation that seems impossible. But you go, you know what? I can have joy in this because I know who God is. I know he loves that person. I know there's a solution. I know there's an answer. It might take 20 years. But there's a solution. It's coming. God's faithful in those things. Verse 12, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater, greater love has no one than this, than to lay, his, lay down one's life for his friend. How, how do you comprehend that? You talk about basic things. God's love. Before we get into deeper things, you comprehend God's love, and we'll sit down and have a talk because there's no way I know I'm going to do it. I'm always learning more. It totally blows me away. It's beyond my understanding. The scripture says, nor height nor depth can take us away from his love. What an amazing thing. And then he says, on top of that, now love one another as I've loved you. How's that going to happen? I don't even get how much you love me. I can't even comprehend that. That happens through abiding. Abiding in him. And then suddenly you start to have a love and a desire and a care for other people. There's nothing better than God's love in this world. Verse 14. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer will I call you servant. For a friend does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Wow. We can know, not per se, the the specifics of God, but we know his plan. We know his purpose. And his purpose is for us to abide in him. And his purpose is us to produce fruit. To have fruit in our lives change, you know Chuck Smith, um, pretty pretty 
pretty uh, solid guy, verse by verse. Not very, uh, what did you say, on fire, loud, preacher style, right? But there was one time. And he was speaking and he's going, man, if you're a believer and there's no change in your life, if you can't, if you don't have any, if there is nothing different in your life from before you met Christ to now, something's wrong with you. I mean, he's just straight out, something's wrong with you. Dang, that's bold. But that's the truth. If, if your life doesn't look at any different before Christ than after Christ, then something's wrong with you. Something's off. You're, you're not abiding. You haven't had a heart change. God isn't working in you. If there isn't fruit, then there's something wrong. And you need to slow down and look at our lives. And if there's not abundant fruit, we've got to slow down and look at our lives. Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in my Father's name he may give you. The fruit he's chosen us to produce. It's not something we sit down and go, oh, I'm going to be fruitful in this area or that area, but it's something he chooses, desires to produce in our lives, which baffles me. I know who I am. I wouldn't have me or anybody else really sharing the gospel. I think some rocks there's some donkeys in the Bible that do a better job at it. <laughs> just, you know, wow, you know. But he chooses us. And not just to have fruit, but lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. Richard Miro has had lasting fruit in that man's life by sharing the gospel and just being obedient and abiding in him. You know, we need to just focus on him and our relationship with him. Don't be worried about the fruit. Be worried about where you're at with him. And then just obey. You know, one basic thing in it, and there was used to be sung in, in, in Sunday school in Big Bear, <laughs> was, you know, pray your, you know, pray and read your Bible every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. And then don't read your Bible and don't pray every day and you'll shrink, 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 and all the kids, you know, get down, you know. And so I added something to that is pray, read, and obey. But not just pray. Be desperate. Be desperate. You know, there's certain situations that come up where we get desperate. A child in a hospital, a situation where you're desperately crying out. I want to be desperate for the things of the Lord. I want to see God work. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, if, if, if I'm just going to be lukewarm, God, take me home. Get me out of here. I want to change. Change my heart. Rock my rule. Your will is to change. Your will is to work. There's been revivals. There's been times. Yeah, we got a wicked nation. God, you desire to work. We want to see you work. We know you can work. I don't want to be okay and look and go, oh, you know, this is what the churches have done for centuries. We know who Jesus is. He doesn't work that way. You know, there's a thing here and a revival here. No, we want to see you work. I want to be desperate to see you change. I don't want to just be okay while I'm going to check off praying. to. No, I I want it to consume me. I want to be praying desperately for him to change my heart, my life, to change and to love those others around us. God, show us how to love other people that they may know you, that there's a revival because your church loves people as you love them. And then read. 
I, there was a thing I think Pat posted of David Rosales, and one of the things he was talking about was, man, they got in the church and they love the Bible because the Bible is going to tell them how to live. You know, this, this is an instruction book. This is going to change my mind. My thinking and what I think is right and wrong is wrong, and I need the Word of God to tell me how to live. God, I want to get in your Word and I want to read. I want you to change my mind. I want you to change the way I think and the way I view this world. And God, I want to obey like if my life depends on it. Like, hey, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. I don't want to wither away. I don't want to be burned. I want to take that warning. I don't, I don't want to be taken out. I want to have abundant life and joy. I don't want to trade that for anything. There's nothing this world can have. Nothing this world offers. Nothing at all. The time we have, the time we spend each and every day, you can sit down and look at it and go, where, where, am I abiding? Is it about him or is it about me? Well, i got to have this. I like this and I like that. Well, where's God fit into it? And it's a, a real challenge even to all of us. I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's an area we can ever sit down and go, well, do, am I abiding more? There's so many distractions, so many things that we can get distracted with. It's right on our hip, right? You know how many people you are know, growing up as a kid, you know, too much TV time. If you got too close, you're going to be blind by the time you're 20. All these things. And now we have device right there, right? Total distraction all the time right there, you know. And, on, and churches are thinking, okay, so you got that distraction. How do we get our information onto that distraction in front of people? Maybe it'll change their lives. Let's just abide in the word of God. Change, change me, Lord. I want to be desperate. I want, I want your word to change my heart. And I want to obey if, if my life depends on it. Verse 17 says, These things I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And we are, change our hearts. Help us to be desperate for you to change our lives. God, we don't, we don't want to be blind to what you want to do. We don't want to be lukewarm, God. We, we want to be abiding in you. We want to see fruit that you produce. We want to see your, you glorified. We want to see many, Father, that are lost come to know you. God, and as there are family members that many of us get together with the holiday and don't know you, and like Noel shared, Father, we just pray, Father, that you would give us opportunity to share your love consistently with them. Father, back them into a corner. Father, show the ends, them the ends of their life, Father, where, where their lives are leading and the destruction. And remind them how much you love them and how sweet you are, God. We pray for our family members that are lost, that you would just call them back to you, that they would know you, God. We pray that you would just radically change our hearts, radically change this place, this town, this nation, that we would abide in you and that you would be known, that your love would be evident, that we would reflect you and nothing else in your church, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.